welcome to the Women in Leadership podcast series presented by BIV. I'm Haley Wooden, Executive Editor of Business in Vancouver. This series is sponsored by the Women's Enterprise Center. The nonprofit organization is devoted to helping BC women start, lead, and grow their own businesses. For over 25 years, they've provided business loans of up to $150,000 plus integrated services, including advice, training, mentorship, resources, and a supportive community to help female business owners gain the skills, the mindset, financing, and networks that they need to realize their business potential and goals. Throughout this week, I'll be exploring the topics of leadership, adversity, growth, and inclusion with four truly remarkable female leaders. You can watch the series at BIV.com video and listen to the conversations at BIV.com audio. And all updates on the series as we post new episodes throughout the week will be made available at BIV.com slash article slash WIL for women in leadership. Here's today's episode. My guest today was recently appointed chair of Canada's Infrastructure Bank. Tamara Bruman currently serves as president and CEO of the Vancouver Airport Authority. Prior to that, she led Canada's largest credit union as president and CEO of Van City for 13 years. She also serves as SFU's chancellor. She is a recipient of the Order of British Columbia and happens to also be one of BIV's CEO award winners. That is just to name a few of the positions she held and a few of the accolades she's received throughout her very accomplished career. Tamara, thanks so much for joining our Women in Leadership podcast. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. It has been a very significant year for a number of reasons, but I want to talk to you about career transition because not only have you changed roles and industries, but you entered an industry at a period in time where it's experiencing a historic amount of change and uncertainty and disruption. What has that been like? Well, it's it's certainly been uh, different than it would have been uh, a year earlier. There's no doubt about that. But, you know, when I first joined Van City as CEO in uh, late 2007, it was right uh, at the beginning of the financial crisis, which at that time was the single biggest uh, transition that that economy and that uh, that industry had faced. So I don't know if it's a character flaw or I like a challenge, but I, I really do think uh, in one's career, you don't get that many opportunities to really look at an entire industry end to end, take a couple steps back, look at everything in order to take that next step forward. I certainly enjoyed doing that uh, at Van City and think we've created a really unique business model there and uh, looking forward to assisting YBR in that same way. Are you finding that there were lessons you learned throughout that period at Van City that are applicable to what you're going through today? Absolutely. You know, a lot of people say, well, how do banking and running an airport, like what do those things have in common? Um, Both are about supporting the community and about supporting the economy when you think about it. So they have that in common. But also when I was at Van City, you know, the thing that I really uh, was inspired by uh, is the fact that, first of all, it's a people business, not a money business. And second of all, when you think about it, the allocation of capital, who gets a loan and who doesn't, is one of the single biggest determinants of the future society and community we create. So it's really, really powerful and very important that it be inclusive, diverse, think about inequality, climate, as well as all of the traditional business metrics as well. And when you think about infrastructure, which is what an airport ultimately is, it's the same. We're often building and thinking about 
uh, uh, pieces of infrastructure that have 30, 40, 50 year lives. And if we're not thinking enough about how we build infrastructure for the future community we want, how do we want to be connected? An airport is the front door to an entire region. What kind of economy do we want to support? What kind of footprint do we want to have here? How do we treat our employees? How do we think about the use of uh, digital and automation? All of those are long-term decisions and the decisions that we make now make a huge uh, impact in the future uh, community and economy that we create. So in that sense, they're, um, they're quite similar. In your point of view, has leadership changed throughout the period where you've held, say, a senior executive role such as president and CEO? Do you think the demands of what we expect from a leader are evolving and changing? I think that there's been a lot of changes to the good and frankly, some changes that have not yet come and need to come faster. And so on the glass half full side, I've seen a huge increase in transparency, in demanding accountability of leaders, in uh, engaging with leaders as, it, as people, <laughs> as well as, as, uh, as professionals. Um, expecting that leaders uh, lead with uh, values and integrity, uh, not just to business metrics. And I think all of that is uh, requires leaders just like anybody else to be role models and to bring their full, uh, full selves to the role, um, which in a diversity and inclusion context is really important and really exciting. But then on the glass half empty, there has simply not been enough progress on uh, on issues of diversity, inclusion, and belonging. You know, I uh, um, when I was going to university, we used to talk about the fact that there was only nine percent of all CEOs in our country uh, were women. Uh, now that number is closer to four percent. So it's actually gone down in the last twenty to thirty years, as opposed to going up. And uh, we know that if we want to make better decisions, if we want to have uh, a, a, a better results, if we want to create the kind of community and economy that I just talked about, we need diverse experiences, lived experiences and, uh, and input. And we frankly simply don't have those yet in leadership, whether it's with respect to Black, Indigenous, people of color, whether it's with respect to ability, uh, and disability, uh, or whether it's uh, with respect to a gender. Throughout your career, you can claim a number of firsts. You are the first woman to lead YVR. You were also, I believe, BC's first female and youngest deputy finance minister. What does it mean to you to be first? Well, you know, frankly, it's a little bit frightening always <laughs> when you're first uh, because there's no roadmap. And Quite, uh, quite genuinely, I know that any uh, success that I have has come with the support of so many people. And so I really do uh, stand on the shoulders of those who came uh, before me. And in a sense, I really um, believe in that responsibility, that accountability to think about what I'm doing for those who follow. And so being the first woman in XYZ, um, means that I take the responsibility for uh, making sure that I make things better for women uh, who follow um, quite seriously. So it's quite a bit of responsibility in that sense. Um, I feel very lucky. Uh, like I said, I am in those roles uh, only with the support of so many other people. 
Uh, and so I want to make sure that, you know, I'm, I'm paying it forward because I know that those who come uh, after me will need that same support. I can appreciate that sense of responsibility that comes with being first. Is there also a spotlight in that you are first and people are perhaps watching very closely what you do and there's a lot of expectations perhaps with how you perform in a given role? One of the really early pieces of advice I got in, in my career and in my life was um, be true to yourself and the results will follow. And at a time when, you know, sometimes when you are the first of whatever, uh, I'm, I'm obviously a, a white woman, so I come with the privilege of, uh, of being white, uh, but I don't come from a, a very robust socioeconomic background. I'm the first uh, in my family to go to university, for example. And so there's a real pressure, I think, uh, to conform and to be like others um, so that you don't screw up when you're first, you know. Um, but uh, that piece of advice really stuck with me. And I think for whatever success I may have had, it's been as a result of just being myself. And so whether I'm in a restaurant, uh, whether I'm... <laughs> handing out candy at the door to trick-or-treaters when we used to be able to do that, whether I'm on a stage in front of 5,000 people or when I'm uh, talking to a customer or a staff member, I'm really the same person. And so that helps, right? Because there's never, I'm Tamara, the CEO, and Tamara, the mom, and Tamara, the person in the community, I'm just uh, Tamara. And I found that that is really quite stress relieving and also quite empowering because uh, I know uh, how to be myself and uh, I haven't had to worry too much about, uh, about others. It kind of gets back to what you're saying about how we're all just people at the end of the day, we might have a big fancy title, we might have a lot of power, but we are all equals. Yeah, absolutely, and and I have a very supportive uh, a partner and uh, and family and and son, and they're very quick to remind me when I'm at home making a bonehead decision that I'm not the CEO of everything, and uh, having people who keep it real for you and remind you that you're just a person like everybody else has been uh, a huge gift to me personally, and uh, and something that's uh, really helped me navigate as a person through some of the more difficult leadership challenges I've had. On the topic of having that support network in place, are there a few mentors you've had or individuals that have really helped you significantly throughout your career? I have been so lucky. I, I don't know whether it's it's that I've looked like I've needed it more or but I have had many, many people who have uh, who have uh, supported me and and I'm uh, I'm a very loyal person in my uh, personal and uh, private life. But when it comes to mentors, I kind of open source a little bit more. So I like to have four or five different people at any given time that I can call upon to, to give me uh, advice and support. Some of those people are younger than uh, me and uh, providing perspectives uh, from a millennial generation or from somebody who's starting out in their career. Those perspectives can be helpful. Some are, of course, senior to me and have wisdom and scar tissue uh, and learnings uh, to lend. But I do find that having a group of people that you can call upon, again, just replicates that diversity of uh, opinion and experience that is often so key to navigating uh, our way through it. I also would say that I have been singularly uh, impressed and it's affirmed like every day 
how generous people are. Uh, I think one of the things that I didn't understand as much at the beginning of my career was was uh, the, the fact that when you ask for help, it's actually not a sign of weakness, it's a sign of strength. Confident enough to say, look, I don't know everything. Uh, can you help me out? And to a person, I can maybe think of only one, seriously one out of hundreds of occasions when somebody has said, no, I actually don't want to help you. In all other 299 cases, they've been nothing but generous. Uh, and so I really think the advice of asking for help and finding areas where people can extend uh, their wisdom and their practice to you is, uh, is a huge part, certainly of my success. It's something that uh, I put into my practice and make sure that it doesn't matter who uh, calls me up uh, and asks me for some advice, it may not be the best advice that I'm giving, but I'm certainly uh, happy to give it. And in that way, I think we create that community of, uh, of leadership that we all need. I don't care who you are uh, in order to navigate and be successful. I know asking for help, you, you mentioned, I think it's so true that it's really not a sign of weakness, mm -hmm. but doing so can perhaps make someone feel vulnerable. Do you think we need to have maybe more open and vulnerable conversations or should we be having more of those conversations? Yeah, I think it's it's uh, it's really a challenge, right? And so particularly, you know, a lot of our uh, a lot of our models of leadership, frankly, are are singular, are heroic, are masculine, um, uh, even if they're embodied uh, by uh, by uh, women or or transgendered or whatever. And so a, a lot of that is, you know, you're supposed to, a lot of our narratives, a lot of our stories are about people who individually persevered and overcame. I actually think those are actually mostly stories. Um, in real life, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> people have support uh, and that support uh, provided with genuine intention is so important. And so being comfortable with asking that support and having that kind of pro-social um, uh, attitude gives a huge um, lift, I think, to anyone's performance. And it's also why when we have systemic discrimination uh, on any level, uh, it's such a problem, right? Because that support simply is not available, even if the folks ask for it. So that's why um, institutionalizing uh, uh, these kinds of ways of working are so important for leadership models and organizations, because otherwise we're only uh, really going on half a tank, right? Uh, a great majority of the people who we're working with and who have the potential uh, and who want to and have something to offer at leadership roles, wherever they may be, uh, are left out of the, of the conversation. I'm going to pivot a little bit because I, I want to try and capture as much of your career in this very short conversation as possible. What would you say are some of the biggest challenges you face throughout your career, be it your time in the public sector, finance, including now, I'm sure there are challenges associated with this current period, but let's take a bit of a broader look at your entire career. Hmm. I think some of the uh, uh, some of the early challenges uh, have uh, have come from uh, you know, knowing what the right thing to do is, uh, but not uh, not having um, not having the experience or even sometimes the data to back that up. And so, how do you often when you're a CEO or a deputy minister or an executive director or a community leader or whatever? Um, by the time an issue gets to you, 
it's if it were easy, somebody else would have made the decision, hopefully, at some other part of the organization. So most of the more ambiguous, gray, difficult, sticky decisions end up coming uh, to um, to leaders of, of organizations and companies. And I think early in my career, the the loneliness of that, you know, where back to the central theme we're talking about here, you know, where do you go for advice? This is my decision to make. These are, I, I know, I know in my heart what the right thing to do is, but nobody is telling me it's the right thing to do. So how do I navigate and find the validation for making uh, a decision with, with integrity? Some of that I really had to uh, learn. I think if I go back and look at the decisions that I've had to make, um, they have, I've never regretted the ones that were the right things to do, but that were not very popular. Uh, I've had a couple, not significant ones, but I've had a couple where I kind of took the easier route um, and I've always regretted it. So I think learning very early on <laughs> that the right thing is always the right thing to do. You just got to figure out how to do it um, has been by far the, the single biggest leadership uh, lesson I think that I've had personally. I think a lot about this idea of being assertive and how women in business sometimes come up against if they're assertive they're not necessarily popular or they're perhaps treated differently than male counterparts who are equally as assertive is that something you've come up against and is that something you've had to deal with especially as you mentioned talking about needing access to support asking questions perhaps coming across as assertive which is needed but dealing with consequences you're very polite. I think you're talking about the B word. And certainly uh, I have come up against that. Uh, I had been, have been called it, uh, um, you, you know, um, male leaders who make uh, decisions in a, in a certain way are decisive and bold and take risks. And women are uh, assertive is the polite term, the B word and others uh, um, that are unacceptable to say out loud. Are uh, are more often what's uh, what's what's really said. And again, uh, having a support network that that you can rely on to give you the straight goods, not sugarcoat things for you, but to give you perspective uh, on those things is key to uh, to breaking through. Because uh, you know a lot of uh, uh, we're we're going against the the grain, right? Uh, and anytime you do that there's always going to be resistance, particularly at the beginning. And so how to build the resilience and the confidence and the transparency and the vulnerability and the support to persevere through that is a key part of leadership success for so many who are uh, first or different um, in, uh, in their various leadership pursuits. And so um, we absolutely, I absolutely have encountered that. And again, it has been through no brilliance of me personally, but simply having people who encourage me, give me this, the, the straight goods about what I need to do and what I need to think about and being open to that advice that has really helped me. If I can ask, has that largely subsided for you? I mean, you're very well known in BC and mm. Canada. You hold a number of very prestigious positions in society and in business. Do you still come up against that or have you kind of broken through and gone to the other side if there is even another side to that issue? No, you know, I was just, uh, it, it hasn't got away entirely. It certainly is not as, as frequent as it used to be and or I don't pay as much attention to it. 
so there's both sides, uh, both sides of that. But I was uh, recently on an international uh, panel with, uh, I was the only woman, with uh, people whose names you absolutely would know if I, I shared them uh, with you. And I had the classic experience that I had when I was 16 years old, that I've heard uh, men of color uh, experience, uh, indigenous people experience, where you say something and nobody pays any attention to it. And then the man sitting next to you says literally exactly the same thing. And everybody goes, oh yeah, good point. Uh, how did you like, what? Did I not just say that? Did you not hear me? And literally they don't hear you the same way, right? Because you don't use the same language or they don't look at you uh, the same way. And so whether it's the on the being heard side or whether it's on the too assertive side, it's less common for sure uh, than it used to be. But I was struck uh, just a couple of weeks ago by the fact, nope, nope, there it is still there <laughs> in the way that, you know, I used to experience quite often. And I'm sure many people uh, continue, unfortunately, to experience today. Do you have any advice around how to deal with that for women who perhaps are just starting out in their careers or in the middle of their careers, whoever they may be? What do you do when you feel like you deserve a spot at the table, but you're maybe not heard by your peers around that table? Yeah, first thing is absolutely you're not alone. It's not unique. And by the way, it's not you. <laughs> it, it is them. <laughs> so it, it is a, it is that the back to those idea of why systemic is so uh, important. Uh, because it literally is institutionalized to the point where it becomes part of everything that can be around you if we're not working very hard uh, to change that and to break through. So first of all, it's not you, it's them. Second of all, uh, as I just uh, did just now, I do find uh, taking a bit of a light attitude towards it, like uh, just a little bit of a, can you believe that? Um, more than a, oh, uh, it, it must be me, I'll never experience it differently. So um, put it in its rightful place in your, in your leadership, which is, it's not acceptable. Uh, we have to work hard to change it. It's not you. It will happen again throughout your career, I'm sad to tell you. Um, but okay, how do we surround ourselves with, uh, with resources and people and supporters and advocates and challengers and champions that are going to allow us to regroup uh, laugh about it like I am now and, uh, and uh, keep going because it's that resilience and perseverance that is key to, um, to, to the change. Somebody once said, uh, and I absolutely believe this, that the key to change is not uh, time. Uh, change doesn't take time. It takes commitment. And so what we're talking about is really that resilience and that support that we all need in order to sustain that community. I really like that. That certainly resonates. Do you have any other advice for, say, the next generation of female leaders? I know you've shared a number of great insights, but is there anything else that's top of mind? Yeah, I really think it's important uh, always to ask for help, uh, whether it's balancing work-life commitments, whether it's thinking about a new opportunity, whether it's an interaction or an experience you've had. I just don't know anybody who can figure all this stuff out on their own. Uh, and so having a support network, whatever that is for you, uh, and it will be different. There's no absolute model. My model works for me, but it, 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 it doesn't necessarily work for everyone. Being, uh, being disciplined uh, about the, the support that you build around you and in turn the support that you give others, because of course it is a virtuous circle, 
um, is really, really uh, key. And so one of the things I worry about a bit in this time of people working from home and not having those opportunities for that, hey, could I just ask you, I've just been thinking kind of conversations. Uh, we need to find ways to replicate that uh, because in the virtual world, because it's so vital, uh, I think, to just how we behave as humans, but also uh, how we're able to build that commitment and that resilience to keep that change going. Absolutely. Before we let you go, Tamara, I do want to quickly ask you a little bit about the future, including your mandate at the Infrastructure Bank. So can you tell us a little bit about what you're in particular very excited to look forward to? Yeah, I'm uh, very excited and, uh, and, and feel uh, uh, very humbled to have been asked to, uh, to lead that institution. Got a great new CEO uh, in Aaron Corey, who comes with uh, really uh, vast experience in infrastructure and a very strong board and a very strong mandate uh, from the government of Canada to do what I think is going to be really important coming out of the pandemic, which is again, back to the first thing I said, what kind of country and society and economy do we want? And we're a very unique country in that we're geographically diverse and, uh, and population, a uh, very, very small population, big geography uh, um, and few people. And so having uh, economic resilience that extends to the far reaches of our country, into the north, into rural communities, through infrastructure like broadband, building uh, models for the unique kind of infrastructure that serves Indigenous communities and helps them be connected in a way that is self-determining, but also connected to, uh, to other parts of our economy is key. Having a sustainable infrastructure that allows us to be competitive as we transition through to meet our climate goals is key. Making sure that people uh, can connect through public transit uh, and ways of uh, moving from one place to another is uh, is also key. And I think there's all sorts of other parts of the infrastructure uh, supply chain that are so, it's really the platform. So not very many times you get an opportunity to contribute to literally the foundation of the next 30 or 40 years of your country. And that's the mandate that we have uh, in partnership with the private sector, with uh, governments at all levels uh, and with indigenous communities. And so I think I'm pretty excited uh, by the opportunity to think about what our infrastructure needs are. So we build the kind of country and the kind of economy that we need for our future. And finally, at YVR, what do you see as your greatest short-term leadership challenge and your greatest short-term leadership opportunity? Well, the, the greatest short-term leadership challenge, of course, is uh, getting our way through uh, COVID. Our industry has been uh, disproportionately affected. I was looking at the numbers for our passenger volumes just yesterday, yesterday being, depending on when this is broadcast, uh, February 24th. Uh, we had a little over 5,000 passengers uh, come through our airport, the vast majority of which were domestic uh, passengers. And that may sound like a lot, but 365 days before that, we would have had over 58,000. So our traffic volumes are down by over 90%. Uh, there's not very many businesses that, uh, that can survive for very long <laughs> when you have a 90% 
uh, decrease in uh, your revenues and your passengers. And so we've taken the steps here to stabilize our finances to make sure that we can uh, meet our commitments and be here uh, ready when the pandemic eases so we can serve folks. And in the medium and long term, I think there's lots to be excited about uh, in our airport, just in terms of our climate goals, the way we serve people, the way we use technology, the way we're uh, using our cargo business to connect more and more people, the way we employ people, the way we create jobs at the airport that are uh, sustainable and inclusive, including with our partners, the Musqueam. So in the medium and long term, the outlook for the airport is great. We must, however, uh, find our way to navigate through COVID so we can uh, be the airport that our community needs uh, in order to support our collective growth going forward. So that's definitely my number one focus at the moment. Tamara, thank you so much for joining our podcast. Really appreciate you taking the time to share your insight and advice with our audience. Yeah, thanks so much for uh, for asking me. Uh, I really enjoyed it. Thank you. That's Tamara Bruman, President and CEO of the Vancouver Airport Authority and Chair of Canada's Infrastructure Bank.